Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. Because success is becoming the person God's called you to become and doing what God called you to do. Period. So you may grow this ministry you're under numerically, whether you're at a nonprofit or parachurch or local church, youth ministry, whatever you're leading, but it doesn't mean you're a success. You actually could be a total failure because God may, maybe never asked you to do it. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, it's been a little while, man. It's good to see you. How are you doing, Chandler? Um, I'm hanging in there. I think I think that's everybody right now. Yeah. Um, hanging in there. I know you're getting nervous right now because they're cutting the grass outside of uh, your home and they're getting closer (laughs) and closer, but don't worry, we're going to get through this thing. We're really excited today, though, because we are having a conversation with Pete Scazzaro, who was a pastor for 26 years before co-founding Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Many of you know Pete from reading one of his best-selling books, including The Emotionally Healthy Leader and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Pete, so happy to have you on today. How are you doing? Great. Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be with you. And <laughs> it's, it is the privileges all of ours. And I, I don't know if you know this or not, but interesting stat for Unseen Leadership listeners right now, The Emotionally Healthy Leader is one of the most recommended books on the podcast. So that should prove how excited we are to chat with you today, <laughs> Pete. Do you mind sharing how the book came to be? What was the beginning of writing that book? And um, yeah, how did you start that? Well... The book came out of uh, a life of uh, pain, right? Of leading. That's, uh, you know, I, I write basically, I try to write what I'm living and basically hard lessons learned over the years. So they kind of, the books follow the progression of my own leadership. So the Emotion the Leader book in particular was written after uh, I had stepped down as being the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship Church for 26 years. And, uh, and I wanted to just reflect back on what are the things I wish someone had talked to me about uh, before I got started, uh, kind of the missing elements that really tripped me up along the way. So that that book was meant to be, and people said, I don't, you know, public, one public said to me, we don't need another leadership book. There's thousands of leadership books. <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm really not writing it to be a bestseller. I'm just writing out of my journals. Mm. Um, and the, the outline of the book came out of my journals and, and, mostly mistakes, mm. uh, walls, disasters, and, and just reflecting on it theologically uh, on like, what, what, what was going on here? Because in a sense, my theology along the way, I find it didn't fit certain situations. And I said, well, obviously something's wrong with my understanding here. Uh, so anyway, and God would meet me then, you know, you reflect on it over years and things begin to pop up and emerge slowly. And that's what, that's where that book came out of. Well, it has impacted, I know it's impacted both of us and, and many re, uh, listeners of this have read it as well. And if you have not read it yet, we just highly recommend uh, you pick it up. I'm sure you're going to hear a lot about even Pete's own journey during this podcast. So it'll be something that you want to check out. Well, let's hop into the questions here. And the first one is, is can you just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've yeah. been in over the years? Yeah. So I came to Christ at 19 uh, in a university fellowship. And within nine months, I was the president of the fellowship. It was about you know, wow. 30, 30 or 40 of us. So I was, uh, you know, I, I, so I was teaching whatever I heard in church or 
Uh, it's what I was teaching, uh, whatever I was reading, I was <laughs> teaching. And uh, uh, I went on staff at the Into Varsity Christian Fellowship. And the role I was given was planting uh, new fellowships on campuses that did not have a Christian witness at the time. Uh, and so I did that for three years and actually went overseas, did some work in the Philippines with Into Varsity with students, uh, got involved in uh, bridging race, racial, cultural, and economic barriers. Uh, one of the campuses they sent me on was 80%. Uh, African-American and Latino. So I was kind of thrust in that whole, well, how do you lead in a multi-racial environment? And uh, so that was all, that was three years, uh, a couple of years as a volunteer and then uh, full-time for three years. And then eventually went to seminary. Uh, and after seminary, uh, went, I, I went to um, Latin America to learn Spanish. Uh, so I was really in a kind of a learning mode. After university staff, I, I would say between seminary, going to Latin America to learn Spanish, came back to New York, kind of volunteered in a Spanish church to immerse myself more deeply in the inner city of New York, in the, the whole Latino culture. Uh, and then we planted New Life Fellowship Church. And so that was my first time as a church planter. And so, uh, and then of course our church grew over the years. So I, I've had a number of different roles in a parish church as well as a church setting. Uh, and then I did that for 26 years. Uh, and then I actually moved from being the lead pastor and handed over to a younger fellow who's doing a great job and actually stayed in the church, still in my church. Um, and then we launched Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which is really a parachurch ministry serving churches around the world in discipleship. Uh, how do you move people from shallow discipleship in Jesus to being deeply transformed by him, you know, for the sake of the world? Thanks for sharing that. So I want to go back. You you mentioned becoming the president of that university fellowship. Yeah. Um, you came to the Lord at 19. But it, that could have been when you realized, well, I'm the president of this fellowship now, so I'm a leader. But when did you realize, hey, I'm a leader. God has given me leadership, like the spiritual gift of leadership. When did that moment happen for you? You know, I don't know if I would have I was just in love with Jesus. I, I wasn't I didn't I had a lot of I was I was really a fiery evangelist. Um but I, I, leadership just came, I, I just, I just had lots of visions and dreams. I don't know. I, I, I've always had an entrepreneurial piece of me, even before Christ. I mean, my father had, you know, we had a bakery business as a family. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I just, I wanted to serve him. I wanted to move the church forward. So I don't, the word leadership, uh, yeah, I guess I, 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 it wasn't used a lot. I wasn't, mm. well, not like it is today. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I was, I know from very early on, I was, it was clear I was leading and it felt very comfortable to me. I didn't know what I was doing, but I <laughs> almost like, I was almost like, I just had to do this, you know, and I, yeah. it wasn't like I thought about it or got trained to do it. I just kind of did it. So you make an interesting point there that you say, well, back then it wasn't, you know, what does leadership look like? That word wasn't used that much. No. So I'd love, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Do you feel like that word leadership is actually unhelpful? Like you said, man, I was just on fire mm. for Jesus. I felt like yeah. the Lord was pushing me in these directions. That's a good question. So, you know, let's say yeah. a young leader listening is like, I want to grow in leadership. Is that really the right <laughs> frame of mind? No, no, I, no, I think it's great. It, it, no, I think okay. it's it's really, no, I think it's a great word. I think it's a great word and it's a biblical word. I, I think the into varsity, because I, again, I, I came to Christ in this parachurch organization and our whole, the whole vision was to disciple students to lead. 
That makes sense. So, so our goal was actually not to be the point leader in the fellowship on a campus, was actually mm-hmm. disciple the leaders and they lead. Um, so I saw my role as more in the background, providing leadership, but not being the visible upfront person, which is really interesting because I had this strong leadership gift. I, uh, you know, but yet the whole focus of being a staff person was not to be leader, but yet train leaders. It was always Second Timothy two two. Um, so I think that I was actually really great training for me. That was tremendous formation for me because it was always a sense where you're giving yourself away. You're 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 giving yourself away that. You're not looking to be in the limelight. And so that's why I found parachurch uh, so helpful to my work in the local church, because it was about making disciples who make disciples, Second Timothy 2.2. And it wasn't about a show. It wasn't about performing. It wasn't about uh, impressing anybody, because uh, it wasn't an impressive ministry. Discipling people is hard work. It's very slow work. Uh, and so I loved it, but I, but I, I did feel like I, I I had such, I got such a burden for the local church. I got such a burden. And I never saw myself as a pastor. Didn't relate mm-hmm. to pastors real. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I came out of a, you know, I'd left church at 11, 12, Roman Catholic background. So I was like churchless for years. And, and, and I'm Italian American. So I didn't really fit into the Protestant evangelical church as a culture. Right. Um, and so I never saw myself as a pastor. Never, never imagined myself. Even when I went to seminary, I was just getting further equipped. I wanted to get Greek and Hebrew. I wanted to know the Bible better. I saw myself as more in missions globally mm-hmm. um, in some kind of probably parachurch or thing, but I got such a burden for the church being this, you know, multiracial, uh, powerful community really impacting the world for Jesus. And I saw the potential of the church, but I really had never been involved with the church that I felt like was a dynamic church that I, I really was like on fire to reproduce. I just, I loved the church. I had a vision for, I just had an experience this kind of vision I read about in scripture and I wanted to see it happen. But I did, I saw myself kind of more behind the scenes helping it happen versus being the point person. Hmm. That is but so then, interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. No, keep going. Keep going. That I ended up, you know, it's funny. Even when I planted our church, um, I didn't see myself as like, Oh, I'm the lead pastor. Like, you know, like I'm the spiritual authority here and it's <laughs> built around me. Like it took me a while to get a handle on that. Hmm. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. So I, I would say I, I slowly came into this place. Of, no, I'm the leader here um, and need to exercise some authority. I was actually more vacillating, I think, in leadership than I should have been in the early years. But part of it was just, I think, the parachurch background in which I was formed so much had leaders in the, me as a leader in the background that I still was doing mm. at the local church. That wasn't helpful. That part wasn't helpful. Mm. That is That is really interesting. And really in our mission to explore the unseen stories of Pete Scazzaro, looking back on that part of your life, you know, when you're starting out in leadership and, and learning and growing and being stretched, can you tell us about a pivotal moment or pivotal moments, depending on how many you had during that season that changed your view on leadership or maybe even your life? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing was I, you know, and some of you know, my, my story, seven years into planning our church, uh, I was not doing well uh, on a personal level. I was exhausted and stressed. Uh, we'd, a, we'd planted five churches actually by year seven. And wow. uh, one of our churches had a split and I found myself very angry and furious. And I was all those emotions I didn't know what to do with. And then my marriage wasn't going well. Uh, my wife is very unhappy. And so that's 
that I, I kind of hit a wall. And then I realized people were not changing deeply in our church. Something was really missing in our discipleship. And so God met Jerry and I. It's a very long story. You, know, you can read about it in different books, but you know, <laughs> that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, but it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I realized that I was an emotional infant leading our church and that mm. my discipleship had large gaps to it. And the gaps, uh, I was very unaware of what was going on inside of me. Um, and that my discipleship and, and classic evangelical discipleship has got a lot of missing gaps in it. And then I realized I was a product of that and it almost caused me to crash. But that was the pivotal moment of my life. It was 1996. Actually, 1994, 96, and, and God met Jerry and I in such an extraordinary way that it completely transformed the way we lead, um, the way we live, the way we follow Jesus, our marriage, you name it. Um, and it completely changed the way our, our church functioned. And really, all, all of our writings and, and our leadership flows out of what we call today uh, an integration of emotional health. And we call it emotionally healthy discipleship. And so we have been integrating uh, some, you know, I, I would say that pivotal moment changed. I would say, I say pivot, it was a pivot. Um, and then that exposed us over time to our, our second big pivot, which was um, an exposure to monastic spirituality uh, in other traditions. You know, we, and, and we ended up learning about silence and stillness and Sabbath mm -hmm. slowing down. That was a revolution yeah. um, as well. So those are two big pivots um, that really revolutionized our, our whole understanding of leadership. No, I mean, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, Pete, so I'm going to ask you to say it again, but you said something at the very beginning of this answer, we, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but you, we can't be emotionally mature unless we're spiritually mature, or is it vice versa? You can't be spiritually mature, yeah, unless you're emotionally mature. They're, they're inseparable. Yeah. Can you dive into that just a little bit more yeah. for us? Like, as a young, you know, when, when we're looking, we're going to get into this more far than the podcast, too. When you're looking at young leaders, right, you either say, hey, we can repair damage later or we can prepare like wh what can we say now to, to prepare young leaders emotions and be sp sp spiritually mature excuse me and emotionally mature yeah yeah so I, I, I that's a great question and I, I would say that your your preparation in leadership uh, must include a foundation uh, of your inner life uh, that's deep another you you can't go high and wide in leadership without going deep uh, if you do, uh, cracks will form and there's going to be consequences. And I've been around a long time and I, I can just tell you that who you are is way more important than what you do. Uh, and you're, uh, you cannot give what you don't possess. You, you, you give who you are. And so, uh, what I'm talking about, when I talk about emotional health, I'm talking about things such as <clears throat> if you're angry, defensive, uh, judgmental, uh, always in a rush. Uh, it doesn't matter how much Bible you know or how gifted you are or how big your ministry is. Uh, you're emotionally immature. You're, you're an emotional infant. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't have love, you've got nothing. Mm. And so uh, this involves, you know, how did your family of origin do things like conflict? How did your family of origin do um, anger? How'd your family of origin do connecting with people? Uh, how'd your family of origin do with success? Uh, how'd your family do racism? You know, other, other cultures. The list goes on. Yeah. Um, 
And because that's how you do it. When you leave your home, you leave your home, you were formed by your family. Uh, that's who shaped you. And so discipleship is being reformed by Jesus. Well, that's hard work. That's what Jesus did with the 12. And uh, so I, like, for example, I, I didn't do emotions like most men. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't do, I, I didn't do like the difficult feelings like sadness mm-hmm. uh, or fear or vulnerability. I didn't, I just did like anger and uh, I was going to make it happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and of course the, everybody loved it. That's what they wanted in a leader. And, and the problem is that's just not biblical. Uh, you know, you've got, I was with a pastor recently, we were doing a study on the garden of Gethsemane uh, and you know, here's Jesus in garden of Gethsemane, flat in his face before God, depressed and sorrowful to the point of death and struggling with the will of God. And, and, it's like, this is not the, this is, I'm so uncomfortable with this Jesus. He's so broken and vulnerable, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's leadership. But that's not, <laughs> that's not what I was taught at all. Like, no, know the answers, know what God's saying and doing and, and take the hill. Hmm. Uh, and so that's more American than it is biblical. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, I just had such a revolution in just even like, even like the heroes of, here's David, you know, he commits murder in his altar and he writes a song about it be sung in church in Psalm 51. I mean, who would do such a thing today? You know, we let it get recorded in the history books of Second Samuel. I mean, his the biggest scandal, and, and he and he leads out of such brokenness. And mm. he says, God delights in a broken and contrite heart. So, you know, I mean what a what a different model of leadership. And so I think for me that the, the revolution was I know emotional health is talking about becoming really aware of what's going on inside of me and and really learning to love people like Jesus, like, I, like that was not a discipleship issue of like, it was more know the Bible, know your gifts, uh, you know, or not a lead, delegate, cast a vision, all that stuff. And, but it wasn't about like, know yourself that you may know God. It wasn't learning yeah. to do grief and loss. It was, you know, it wasn't that kind of stuff. It wasn't about mm-hmm. learning to have a Sabbath or do silence and solitude. It was like, you know, so it was just, so with all these missing pieces and I, and I realized how American our leadership understanding is versus I'll call it a, you know, biblical understanding, which is radically different. And so it was like, a, it was like a, honestly, it was like a, it was, it was, it was like a idols coming down on my own heart. And so in 96, we just began to develop a discipleship, emotionally healthy discipleship. But how do we develop tools to begin to help people mm. grow, mature and grow up? Yeah. And that's really been our life work for the last, you know, 25 years. Well, we're thankful for it. And and I'm just thinking, I know we're recording this during a COVID-19 season that has caused disruption, a lot of frustration um, for those leading, a lot of tough decisions and uncertainty. And I, you know, I'm just thinking what, you know, maybe if we weren't emotionally healthy back in January and February, it is really coming to the light now yeah. <laughs> with all, it's almost like a microscope is on our emotional health. Yeah. So and, and I know, I promise we're going to get back to the main questions, but we, I just really like where this conversation is going. I think it's helpful. What would you say to a young leader who maybe is in their first leadership role and is having to make these hard decisions? What practical advice would you say, hey, during this season, here are some ways to become emotionally healthy, to focus on your inner life just as much as your outer life of making those hard decisions in leadership? Yeah, I, I would say that the first person, the most important person for you to lead is yourself. Uh, that's the most difficult person to lead, especially during COVID-19, this 
you know, we're in a season of such uncertainty, right? Such an enormous um, upheaval. And so, so the, so being, first of all, just getting grounded and anchored yourself in, in Jesus. How, how, how do you do that? And so probably the disciplines and practices you had before this were in, are insufficient for what you're encountering right now, uh, just because the demands are much greater. And so uh, I think it's a great opportunity to get retooled by God for the next phase of what he has for you. So uh, that, that's, I think, my biggest thing is. Uh, again, you, you want to lead out of a deep inner place. Secondly, I think you need a, a larger theology. There's a lot of loss and grief going on right now because, you know, we've yeah. lost so much. So I, uh, so what we've been doing is moving people through um, uh, some tools to help them get retooled. I mean, we, we have been inundated with honestly, pastors and leaders coming to us because I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think we've been equipped for this kind of a crisis. In our yep. own inner life, True. I think it's exposed the shallowness of the American church in particular. Mm. Uh, even our whole understanding of what is success, I think, is being shattered. Uh, mm. if, you're defining, if you're defining success by numbers alone, you've got a big problem. In some ways, the weekend services can cover over the fact of we're actually not really making disciples who are being deeply transformed by Jesus. In other For words, sure. basically, right yeah. now, if we, don't, if we don't have something to give people, we got a big problem. Mm. We're just giving them kind of a you know a few smoke machines and a great worship set and a clever sermon. It, it, it's it's not going to cut it. Mm. So I think it's it there is an existential crisis that we're in. That's a fantastic crisis given by God as a gift, uh, because leading now is m- much more difficult, uh, and it's not simply about getting the new, newest strategy. Uh, we've got to hear God. We've got to slow down. We've got to integrate some silence and stillness in our lives. Um, we got to really get the whole of what's, what's deep behind this, beneath this anxiety and fear of failure, of things falling apart around me. One guy said to me, one pastor said, I, Pete, I, I'm trying to hold on to this church I built, and I, I can't. It's like slipping through my fingers. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in pure panic, you know? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I, I get it. And uh, that's not a bad place to be in, to be honest. If, you can use that moment to let God in to begin to rearrange the furniture of your inner life. Mm, that's good. Pete, I know you already talked about, I wouldn't call it a mistake. You talked about the pivotal moment. So what, what would you say was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? And maybe how did that set you up for success down the road? Well, my biggest mistake was buying into, uh, as a pastor of a church, that success, the scorecard of success was more numbers. Yeah. That was the biggest mistake I made. Uh, and looking at mega churches as a success model. Uh, that was the biggest mistake because success is becoming the person God's called you to become and doing what God called you to do. Period. Mm-hmm. So you may grow this ministry you're under numerically, whether you're at a nonprofit or, you know, parachurch or local church, youth ministry, whatever you're leading, but it doesn't mean you're a success. You actually could be a total failure because God may, maybe never asked you to do it. <laughs> you know, you just hit on this as well, but with this, with this disruption, I mean, attendance is just thrown out the window. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's gone. And now, and now we look at well, I mean, what are the views online and we're trying yeah. to figure all that out. And of course, you know, hopefully this season isn't last long, but I think it is kind of stripping away an idol 
like you said, it's covering up what's, you know, we're not actually discipling people behind the scenes. Yeah. So how, you know, if we, if somebody's listening, maybe they're at a church that they're attending and they're like, is my church discipling me well? Or maybe there is a young pastor as well listening. What is, what are some keys that you should look for in your church of how they're discipling you? And it's not just a, we want you to attend, but it's like, we actually want you to engage and be discipled here. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, again, it's hard to give a, again, as I said earlier, it's hard to give a specific for every context, what is success? Um, So I want to be careful there. I I like the definition. Success is becoming who God called you to becoming, doing what God called you to do. So Mm. some some core, I think some core, I, I think across the board measures of success is one of my, am I connecting people to the person of Jesus? Are they, are they cultivating their own firsthand relationship with Jesus? I think we assume because they're attending church and going to a small group that they're doing that. That's a wrong assumption. Mm-hmm. Many people go to church. Many people are serving. They are actually giving. They go on mission trips. It doesn't mean they're cultivating their own relationship with Jesus. It's yep. really different. Um, and that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's being engaged in scripture. It's having, again, I look at silence and stillness. I, I don't believe it's possible to mature spiritually without an some dimension of silence and solitude in your life, which very few Christians have in the United States. Um, that's a huge problem. Uh, we just remain shallow. We, we, maturity requires not just talking to God and getting information in our heads. It requires listening, requires silence, being with him, communion, mm. um, listening. Uh, that's, that's really different. Um, so that, that, that's, so that's number one. That's one. And then secondly, I think if people are, you know, as they're, as they're, 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 they're being trans, they're in, they're in a process of being continually transformed. Actually, there's actually change in my life. I maybe I've been a Christian 15, 20 years, but I'm experiencing transformation. Not just the day I get, came to Christ, but I'm actually an ongoingly having significant transformational moments with God touching me and changing me that we're hearing constant testimonies out of people's brokenness of, of transformation. I think that that's a, that's another indicator we're looking at, but when people aren't, that's not happening in a church, that's a problem. Again, it's just an active doing of programs and activities and it's all external, but not a lot's going on internal. And again, our, our external activities, but the flow out of an inner life mm-hmm. that's transformed. That, 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 that's what made Jesus different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees in his day was, it was, it's, it's in the inside. It's what comes out of us is more important than the Pharisees did a lot of external stuff, but it wasn't flowing from the inside. So mm. that, those are, I think, a couple of things I, I look for. Okay, what ministry and is that, that those, are, those are, I'm looking for the deep connection with Jesus. People are listening, abiding, discerning in their own life day by day as they're following Jesus. And, and secondly, I'm, I'm looking for a silent stillness and as a, as a real part of their integration and, and consistent testimonies of, of life change going on inside of them. Mm, I love that word abide. John 15, it's one of my favorite passages. Yeah. And I've and just last week I was talking to my wife and uh, I, I was sitting outside having my devotional, but just some, something felt off that just didn't feel right. And uh, Darren Patrick, before he passed away, he had this quote that had just been, you know, um, really stamped on me and I'll always remember it. But he was talking about how during part of his uh, burnout ministry and part of his fallen ministry, he was talking about that I started using God's word as a tool for my ministry rather than a treasure for my heart. And I realized, my goodness, right now in the season, I've just started using 
devotion is like a tool to fix me and to do something to do rather than to be in God and to abide in God. Um, and you can feel it. It's like you feel off. It's not, something's not yeah. right. So I love that word abide that you shared. Yeah. I think, you know, I think I, 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 I move from my uh, time with God being more morning, you know, being communion with him versus learning about him mm. or coming for intercession. Uh, I don't really do a lot of interceding in my, I do, I do daily offices, which comes out of more monasticism, morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer. But my goal in those times is communion more than intercession. I do intercession, but I just, I, my focus is being with him. Uh, mm. as a, as a, that was a huge shift for me. Uh, mm. Moving to being with God out of which I do for God. Mm. That is so good. So uh, put yourself in the uh, young Pete shoes again. <laughs> what book do you wish someone not not that you're old, Pete? I just want to clarify. Oh, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> but but what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? You know, I got I I read that question and I don't I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I I don't I I don't know if there's one book I would give people. I I would definitely give emotionally healthy spirituality. <laughs> there it is. Um, there it is. There it is. Uh, I, and I obviously give them give them scripture. I'm a big believer in church history. Um. Okay. I, w- I would probably, you know, I, I, I love history. I think history is really important. Probably, you know, In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen's important book. Let Your Life Speak by Park- Parker Palmer, another, another real good classic book. I, I think New Seeds of Contemplation by Thomas Burton. You know, books are funny things. You know, you, you, you can have a great book in your hand, but it's not time yet for you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's got to hit the right moment in your journey. And I don't think books are meant to be read. I think certain books are meant to read you. Mm. form you and so you're not to read them quickly but prayerfully uh uh so they're it's actually a formational moment many people zip through books really quickly uh they don't learn anything they, they learn stuff in their heads but not not changed by anything it's just mm. sermon points or you know talking points and all that it doesn't mean anything we got lots of, there's so much of that cleverness going around one-liners and it's just it's not it's not worth a hill of beans I, i'd rec- I'd, I'd recommend change the way you read and discern what are the books God's inviting you to read, so He can form, so the books can actually read you uh, and transform you. Well, I gotta say, Pete, nobody has uh, dropped the mic on that question before like you just did. <laughs> that was a really, really good answer. I'm like looking at my bookshelf now, saying, "What books do I need to? I just need to go ahead and donate these." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's such a good point, though, that you could read a great book and it be the wrong season of life for you. And it not impact you the same way. Yeah. Um, so I, I really resonate with that. I'm going to give an example. I just my own, my own life worker. I, I, you know, we've been trying to help people move into integration of emotional health into their discipleship. Right. You say, okay, that's not a big deal. You know, you write books about it. Our books are bestsellers, but it doesn't mean they, they change anybody's life. And so uh, I, I'm a pastor. So I'm not writing to make a living. I'm not writing to, to sell books. I'm writing to see people's lives transform. And so we realized um, early on in, in the late 90s that our books are selling and bestsellers, but nobody's changing. People aren't changing deeply. It's just, it's very partial. And so we began to write curriculums and courses and it got me, Jerry and I are, are, we've had to develop tools to get people to live the theology. That's been the big shift of our lives because people have to experience the truth and not just read about it. And so, in fact, I want to encourage you to look at 
Uh, our website, we have a lot of free materials there to actually do, for example, a genogram of your family of origin going back three to four generations and how oh, it impacts wow. who you are today. It's a, it's a team <laughs> development tool. It's a, and you can look at it. Um, it's free. And on how Sabbath, how to structure Sabbath in your life on a, on a weekly basis. How do you craft a rule of life to center your life around the love of Jesus? You know, these are you know, the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. We developed skills over a 19, 20-year period to, te- to disciple people in their relationships. You just can't say, people, well, love people. Just love them. I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> Again, Jesus spent three years getting into the 12, what that looks like. And so we've got to develop tools on how do you have a clean fight versus a dirty fight? Right. How do you speak cleanly? How do you speak honestly, clearly, and respectfully to someone? Mm. Um, how do you listen like Jesus? I mean, so that's been our life work is creating experiences that give people the chance to apply with the learning. Reading it's one thing, doing it's another. And our big concern is the doing of scripture, not just reading about it. Mm, that's good. That's almost biblical, right? <laughs> I mean, James, I mean, I just literally, I think of James when he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Yeah. And, yes. you know, we do that with books, but man, how often do we do that with scripture too? Um, so thank you for that um, very much. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here and we'll get, start, we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office? Maybe that's the home office nowadays, yeah. <laughs> all that good stuff. Yep. Yep. So, you know, for me, my, I structure my days uh, around monastic uh, spirituality. So I, around mon- what's called a daily office. So morning prayer, uh, which will be, you know, time in scripture, but at least 20 minutes of, of silence in his presence. Uh, that, you know, that's my, could be a half hour, hour, two hours, you know, in the morning, then I'll have midday prayer for a shorter time, somewhere between 11 and two. And then evening prayer before I go to bed. Um, always. So th- that's a, that's a structure for me. Um, and then I'll exercise. Like I, tonight I went for a bike ride this morning for an hour. Um, and then I'll do some work, you know, in the mornings. Uh, and I usually, usually it's more study, uh, in, in the mornings and then in the afternoon I'll stop at five, five thirty, Uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go to bed a decent hour, like 10, uh, you know, read, but I'm going to, I got a, a rhythm in my days around stopping to be with God. So it, in, so that when I'm doing activities, um, abiding in him, the goal of the Christian life is to pray always, right? To be mm-hmm. guiding and remembering him when I'm active. So stopping, that's what the great monastics discovered is that, you know, like David wrote, wrote in Psalm 119, seven times a day do I praise thee, you know, mm. that's the. Kind of, there was some kind of a structure. Daniel three times a day prayed, I, and it's called the daily office. It's a rich tool, and and uh, and I'd encourage you to look at a couple of daily office books we've produced because getting people into a rhythm in their days is really critical. And so, so I, that that to me is the most important thing I do is stop to be with Jesus during the day, so I remember Him in regards of what I'm doing. Yeah, and so I limit. I just limit my my work. I do what I can do, and then I, I drop it, let it go. <laughs> Yeah, that is a great habit to get into. I know that's a, a bad habit, but like you kind of were saying, the American church, I think just as American, I would call it Americanism of, we don't really want to put anything down. We always want to be completing something. Yes. Um, one, of, one of the biggest takeaways, and I know these are quick hitters, so yeah, I apologize I'm, I'm, for no, 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 it's great. expounding upon this, but you talked about 
um, a rule of life earlier and you talked about rhythm and I just, I'm thinking right now, like everybody's rhythm is thrown off. They're trying to figure out what the new rhythm is. And for those who have not heard of a rule of life, could you just give a quick overview and how that can impact our relationship with the Lord and how that helps us grow emotionally healthy? Yeah. So first of all, you, everybody has a quote rule of life. What that means is how you structure your life to follow to, to how you structure your whole life as a Christ follower. You, you have a structure of how you do that already. Everyone has it. It's just unconscious. And so what we did, you know, many years ago was, was take some of the, a rich treasure out of church history called a rule of life. And a rule was an ancient word in Greek, meaning a trellis. Think of a trellis where grapes grow upward, mm-hmm. wider. Without a trellis, the grapes are on the ground. They don't grow very large. So these monastic communities created, and they still to this day have a structure of how they do their life together. Prayer, relationships, work, um, uh, study. And so what we do, we took that over the years and developed uh, some tools to help people become conscious of how they're spending their days to create a, a structure so that I'm receiving and giving the love of God. And my life has kind of a, a rhythm and a wholeness to it and a balance to it. Um, again, for the long term, I think as young leaders, you want to develop rhythms now that can sustain you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years into the future. You, you want to be a long distance person where your life gets increasingly joyful uh, as you grow older, not less so. And that's going to require developing some new ways of, of following him as you go through different life seasons. So again, I, I would check out this, uh, if you go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team, uh, there's a, uh, you'll see a transformational video and some handouts on how do I create a rule of life uh, for myself. And it's free. I, I, I would definitely check into that. Uh, well worth your time. Look into it. It's free. It's online. I'm so curious to see what your answer is, Pete. I'm, I'm just, I'm just yeah. so excited. So, what is your favorite personality test? Well, it's not a really a personality test. I, I, I do like the Enneagram. Okay, I, I, okay, I think okay. excellent. I, I think it's a, it, it kind of, it's not really so much personality as, but it gets at your shadow. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really helpful. Uh, and yeah, I think that's my favorite. So, what, it, what, what Enneagram numbers I, do I, you I, relate? Well, I'm a four. Okay. I'm married okay. to a one. And uh, I, I think it's a really, it's, it's helpful. Real, really good stuff. Right? Cool. Well, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? <laughs> unusual habit. Um, and on you, well, I, I probably, I, I'm just a, I, I love going, to, I love reading. I love going to libraries. I, I'm just, I'm very curious. I love learning. I'm 64 years old this past week and I'm, I'm growing and learning. And I, I just, just so much in life to learn in, in so many fields and, uh, uh, study. I love learning from all kinds of sources. Uh, so I think it's really helped me in my leadership to be a reader and a learner. And I would, that, that I think is, a I, I recommend it to people read broadly, learn from everywhere and anyone. Uh, and, even in fields that I've seen that have nothing to do with whatever you're involved in, because you'll find out there's all kinds of applications. So we just planted our first garden and we're New Yorkers and I'm learning so much from gardening. I just don't, it's so much, I, you know, creating the right conditions for something to grow. And I'm just pondering all the applications for that. Um, so, and I think you'll see that in my books, I, you know, I'm just growing from all kinds of sources and it just comes out naturally when you're just reading a lot. Mm. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? <laughs> Ooh, another good question. <laughs> I, I tend to read three or four books at a time. 
And okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm actually reading a book called "The Accidental President" on uh, when Harry Truman became president at the end of yes. World. It's a great book, but see, I, I, I'm just, I mean, right now I'm, you know, I'm in a, I just finished writing a book. So I've been, yeah. when you're writing a book, you're not reading a lot of stuff for pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, so since <laughs> I finished that, uh, I've just been reading a lot of pleasure books and, uh, you know, novels and I love yeah. history. And so yeah, the accidental president has been a lot of fun for me on, on Harry Truman. And again, I'm reading this again, and he's dealing with Stalin and he's dealing with Churchill and it's just always much fun always so much fun to realize what's going on behind behind the scenes for every leader. There's so much stuff you never find out about for years that influence decisions. And again, whether I, I you know, you agree or not about the dropping of the atomic bomb is just mm -hmm. fascinating to put yourself in that moment of history uh, with Oppenheimer and all the folks developing the atomic bomb and all their struggles. And I mean, just the pressure cooker of leadership. Uh, and, uh, I, it just, so I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really fun book to read. I, I read, um, Truman by David McCullough. So I'm yeah. sure it's, a, you know, they're sharing the same story and it was so fascinating to me that he, you know, when FDR passed away, like my, one of my biggest takeaways from that book was he learned about the atomic bomb that day when he became president and yeah. then 87 days after that was when they dropped it. So, I mean, just think about what a principle that is of like, like you said, the pressure cooker of leadership and having to make that decision. So yeah. fascinating story. Fascinating. I feel like I'm missing so much and not reading like books about presidents and presidential Chandler. He, there are so many guests that have been on this podcast, Pete, that like Chandler, they start talking about presidential biographies and like everybody's reading them except me. So I don't, <laughs> I need <laughs> to get in on it. I know I'm missing something. Well, last question, Pete, what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? I would say, uh, <laughs> I would say, don't worry about everybody else. <laughs> mm. I would say, yeah, maybe everyone else is reading those presidential books, but you know what? <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Oh. That doesn't matter that, that, you know, it doesn't mean that you should be. And but, it's okay. They're reading it. It's like, it's, and I think you can learn from other people, but God's got a unique journey and destiny and calling and timetable for you. And one of the most important things you can do is, if not the most important thing, is to be faithful to the uniqueness of who God's called you to be. Don't Please don't be somebody else. We don't need you to be somebody mm -hmm. else. You're, you're unrepeatable. One of my favorite Hasidic tales is about a, uh, they asked Rabbi Susia, um, said this, he says, when uh, they're not going to ask you at the end of your life. God's not going to ask you, why were you not Moses? He's going to ask you, why were you not you? Mm. Why didn't you have the courage to live out your, you know, your unique, unrepeatable life? That takes a lot of courage because it means you're not going to follow the crowd. Uh, you're going to be, you know, who God uniquely made you to be. And that's really, that, that's it. That's his invitation. Uh, and can I just like one little invitation here for your readers? Yeah. Because you're young, you're all young and, uh, I, there's a little, there's a free inventory. It takes about 15 minutes to take it. And it basically is, it's an emotionally healthy personal assessment. And it's, am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? And, and uh, I, I would really encourage you to take it to find out where you are right now. And then chart out your future. And I just, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. Uh, I think it's on the front page of our website, I believe, somewhere as well. 
but emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature, I would take that 15 minute assessment, find out where are you right now? And then I would, I would take steps to mature and grow in Jesus. There's nothing more. Remember the most loving thing you can do to serve the world and lead others is to grow yourself. That's the number Mm. one point in your job description, mature as a follower of Jesus. That should be number one on your JD. Mm. Um, Regardless of what role you're in, especially, you know, that's number one on my JD and every job description of anybody's ever worked for me over the years. Uh, Because first things first, God's building people, not simply organizations. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, if you guys want to check out the website, go to emotionallyhealthy.org and especially this assessment, emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. I'm on there now and guarantee I'll be taking this thing over my, over my lunch break. It's, I'd already yep. said something about reading presidential biographies. I don't know. Why. <laughs> it's so good. Good for you. Well, Pete, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership journey. If it has, head on over to Instagram, give us a follow. We'd love to connect, say hey. And if you have not yet picked up a copy of The Emotionally Healthy Leader, it's it's great. It's going to change your life. We'll see you next week. God bless you guys.